the meat of the podcast. <laughs> have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? <laughs> Yeah. 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 Hi, I'm Smith, and you're listening to She's in Russia, the inaugural episode. And I'm Lily. I live in St. Petersburg, Russia. Usually, but on this episode, we're together in Brooklyn. Smith lives in Brooklyn. I live in Brooklyn. This is our inaugural episode. Our truest episode, yeah. We've done three prior to this, but this is our first real one. It'll be up on iTunes. You can subscribe. It's it's our first real one because we finally bought fancy professional equipment. We have pop-proof microphones. On this episode, we talked about the figure of Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower. He lived in Moscow, and we talked about the effect of his existence in Moscow on U.S.-Russian relations. We just touched on what political leaders think of him in the U.S. and in Russia. Yeah. Lily provided like sort of a short anecdote about like the fallout post-Trump election and just like what conservative Russians thought about that and what her role was in responding to those people. We yeah. had a little we had a little debrief of the history of U.S. and Russian relations. Yeah, in, in the general. past. Well, not in general, in the past since Obama was president, so starting around 2009, and sort of uh, detailing why the relationship has gone downhill. Has soured pre-hacking. Pre-hacking. Which we will talk about on another episode. On another episode. And then we did our Propaganda Hour segment, where we discussed... It's not an hour, though. It's not an hour. Don't worry. Where we discussed a piece of propaganda relating to U.S.-Russian politics just found in nature and lastly we did a little, b- little body update uh and we talk about lily's happy trail in my butt pimple all right so what are we talking about today all right so specifically today we want to talk about snowden but not just like snowden in general but edward edward j snowden but specifically like his relationship with russia and his existence influence on the American-Russian political relationship and how how his presence in Moscow has affected has affected that relationship. So I think one thing we should do, because according to our dear friend John Oliver, nobody knows who Edward Snowden is. We should just do like a very short summary. So do you want to yeah. go ahead and do that? Sure. Edward Snowden is a former employee of the CIA. He also worked as a consultant for the NSA. Yeah, so he was... An an outsourced, like... Yeah, he was working for a consulting company, I forget the name of it, that was contracted by the NSA in Hawaii. Yeah, that's the the word. He was was basically like a systems admin, which is like somebody who manages... Like, the network for a given organization. Yeah. And while he was working for the NSA, he basically uh, realized that the NSA has an unprecedented extreme 
um, access to Americans data data yeah I mean I think the important thing is like it's mass surveillance on a technological scale that we haven't seen before specifically that the NSA is collecting data so that means phone calls emails instant messages photos etc oh yeah. any Wait. form of communication of American citizens even if they're not suspected of terrorism yeah. so what Snowden what Snowden discovered and eventually leaked this information to the press is that the surveillance of American citizens is the default. Collecting information about American citizens is the default way that the NSA works. And then if they need that information, they basically have like this giant bucket of information. And when they need it in a, for a specific thing that they, they suspect someone of something specific, they just reach into that bucket and pull out whatever they need. And yeah, as Smith said, it's like all forms of communication, not just metadata, metadata being like the time that the call was made the who it was called but also the content the content so, of the call and and the way they were doing this was through hacking companies that like internet companies and phone companies so places like AT&T Google Apple etc not hacking necessarily not hacking ne- necessarily there were a lot of claims that those companies built in backdoors specifically for government agencies and backdoor backdoor is just a little logo logo Logo. Logo. <laughs> backdoor. Backdoor is just a term that means access, basically. Yeah, it means it's access that doesn't follow the security protocol of the rest of the application or the rest of the software. So, like, if you imagine something like Facebook, in order to access your account, you need to log in with a password. But a backdoor would allow somebody maybe with special keys to access all the information yeah, in the database. A, right, and a backdoor, like in the case of the government related to a private company, would be when people say backdoor in the news, they mean, like, the government, the U.S. government goes to a company like Facebook or Apple, for example, and says, let us have build, that key. Or build us a backdoor. Specifically or build us, yeah, us, build yeah. us a program that will basically hack into your own customer's uh, iPhone or f- accounts. Yeah. Okay, so Snowden, while working, while inside the NSA, realized just as a, a person, and uh, the analyst, admin person that he was, that he had like cra- a crazy amount of access to all of this information that was being collected on Americans and non-Americans, and that that was wrong and that that was illegal, according to the American Constitution. And he decided to leak that information, but he did not leak that information the way other whistleblowers have leaked it recently, like anonymously through WikiLeaks. He leaked it by st- like taking all that information, like copying it, taking all of those documents, NSA documents, and then handing them over to a couple of journalists. Yeah, not all at once. He would, like, meet out sections of documents after sort of, like, explaining what they were and, like, giving them instructions on how to be secure. Right, so to his credit, in terms of supporting the argument that he is, in fact very much a patriot and not a traitor to the U.S., he really was really selective and careful about all of this data. And he didn't just willy-nilly hand it over to whoever or just like say, like, let's just make it all transparent because he understands there are legitimate concerns about national security when you release secret information. But uh, he's evaluated, in his own words, all of the documents. To his credit, again, he really took precautions. And how that 
handover of information happened was in a hotel room in Hong Kong. He said he needed to go to the hospital. That's what he said to his employees. But really, he flew to Hong Kong and he invited... Laura Poitras. Laura Poitras, the filmmaker. So, so yeah, Laura, I think... Maybe we shouldn't take the time to invite Laura Poitras. Invite. Laura, would you like to come come talk to our podcast? Um, Introduce her. But the short of it is that Laura Poitras is a documentary filmmaker who has made a lot of films in this space, specifically like around security and the way the world has changed in the post 9-11 world. So Edward Snowden was aware of her films and contacted her and then also suggested that she involve Glenn Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald is a... uh, journalist paper journalist to, for the for the guardian for the guardian there, yeah there's to to get a good grasp of snowden though as a character and as a person there's two movies there's citizen four by laura poitros which is a documentary detailing the eight days that edward snowden was in hong kong with laura poitros and glenn greenwald basically planning the release of how they were going to present this information all of these findings all of these leakings to the public the american public snowden is a biopic drama by Oliver Stone. Came out in 2016. Also really great. Much more action-packed and potentially mild, like mildly fictionalized. It's not like it's not a documentary. Um, based on the, the true handsome story. man Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, very low voiced and cutely playing Snowden. <laughs> okay, so that like sort of gives you the overview of Snowden. I think for the most part, if, if you didn't know what was going on, but we definitely both recommend going and watching Citizen Four. So, we, so what happens? So he's, he's in the Hong Kong hotel room. He releases the... And that's in 2013. So this is, if, if people remember when it's you started summer, hearing about... Yeah, the summer before our senior year of college. For everybody who's documented their lives on our senior year of college. <laughs> summer of 2013. So yeah, he's, he's in a Hong Kong and then in a he's... Hong Kong. He's so he's trying to get to Ecuador in the same way that Julian Assange was, is like in the Ecuadorian embassy because Ecuador won't extradite people. Snowden, after being in Hong Kong for eight days, releasing a lot of documents, Glenn Greenwald writes a lot of um, articles in those eight days for The Guardian, like introducing uh, this idea of mass surveillance, both by the NSA and by like the British equivalent, which was like even more widespread than yeah, in even America. worse apparently. Yeah, lawyer Poitras shoots a short video of Edward Snowden's face for the first time while he's in Hong Kong and releases it to the public. And that's important because up until then, people were like sort of accusing this anonymous figure. They're like, how are we supposed to trust him? And he like sits down with his like, I'm a mild mannered engineer and I have my glasses on and like does this little interview and it's released to the world within those eight days. Following that, he's like, okay, I... And I remember this during the time, like the narrative around him at the time was like, oh, the CIA is going to kill him now. Like that was like the assumption. He's in Hong Kong. He's he's in Hong Kong. And so he's like, "Okay, I'm going to go to Ecuador. And I think this was supposed to be facilitated a little bit by WikiLeaks, even though he hadn't released any documents through WikiLeaks. And maybe we'll talk about his relationship with WikiLeaks a little bit later. But he's trying to get to Ecuador and he's flying through Moscow and the U.S. revokes his passport in that time. So he's stuck in the Moscow airport. Snowden is stuck in Moscow. Snowden is stuck in Moscow. He's literally in the airport. And with the help of a Russian lawyer, who's still his lawyer now, whose name is... Anatoly Kucharena. Anatoly Kucharena is granted asylum by the Russian government. 
And this is, I guess, still in 2013. And so, yeah, now Edward Snowden, for the past four years, has been living in Moscow. His girlfriend moved from Hawaii uh, to live with him in Moscow. So he's just a little Muscovite now. Muscovite. So he, so he got this, like, asylum and then a resident permit, and then he got it extended recently. So he's Extended, chilling. like, within the past month or two. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. Kucherina, his Until lawyer... Until 2020. And then Katrina, his lawyer, I think has made, I mean, has made a statement that he intends to eventually apply for citizenship once he's had enough residency yeah. or something. So it's just like, so he lives in Moscow. But yeah, he lives in Moscow. I would say, and I wanted to just touch on, because we like to do this, the three images, if we're going to break it down to three, that are of Snowden are, one, he's a Russian spy, which is mostly touted by right-wing Republicans, i.e. Trump. Trump thinks he's a Russian spy? I oh, mean, yeah. Trump okay. thinks in quotes. Who knows, you know? I mean, it's confusing because when you say is. Republicans and you say Trump, it's confusing, especially with Russia. I mean, it's Trump confusing. honestly doesn't talk about Snowden that much, but we can talk about I, the things he has said. Okay. The three images of Snowden. He's a Russian spy. He is explicitly refuted because... Okay, so there was a time... Just obviously. There isn't. was a time, I think right around the point when he moved there, where some senior Russian analyst in the government claimed that he was a spy, but it was an anonymous source, but they said it on NPR. They said, like, he was, you know, I keep saying Claimed. colluding, but, oh. like, he was interacting with Russian intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. So Russian spy, the other narrative that's, like, pretty popular amongst liberals who are still anti-Snowden is that he's, like, egotistical and narcissistic and just likes being at the center of attention. So this is, this is Im- image number two of him? Image number two. Egomania? Um, and most, poli- like, the only political figure I, I came across that said anything positive about him was Eric Holder, who said that, like, he did a service to the American people. But even, like, liberals and stuff, during the this past fall when people are petitioning to have uh, President Obama partition him, Partition. <laughs> Pardon him. Pardon. They just wanted to slice him right in half. Oh my god. Really... Can you just cut him in two? Half a Russia. <laughs> when they were petitioning Obama to pardon him, the uh, like bipartisan committee in Congress wrote a report where they're like, you should not pardon him, pardon him, essentially calling him like a traitor and like wanting him to come back and face trial he should have gone the system route and like done whistleblowing the correct way instead of like putting himself in the limelight this Uh, is what the that's what liberals say oh i thought so what was the third thing and then the third thing is like he's a whistleblower and he's a hero oh and and the positive bow down before him yeah Yeah, or just general positive interpretations of him one just funny side note so i was just listening to a podcast episode on the intercept which is an online publication launched in february 2014 by glenn greenwald one well he's one of the three editors anyway on this episode snowden's being interviewed he's calling in from moscow the podcast was came out really recently past couple months and he basically said anyone who thinks who still thinks he's a Russian spy is, like, suffering from some kind of judgment, like, imparity, such as being senile or... Imparity? Impairment? Impairment. (laughs) Someone whose judgment 
is impaired yeah. either by he called what he says like sen- senility being senile yeah. but he uses this, like senility or just generally someone whose judgment we could question but he doesn't name any names but it's kind of funny but like he's basically saying like it's such a ridiculous thing but it's but the person interviewing him on the podcast is like you know that's still like a thing people say weirdly yeah i mean i understand it in more rational terms where it would make sense like Snowden lands in Moscow. He gets approached by Russian intelligence, and in return for asylum, he has to turn over certain documents. The only rebuttal to that, which is like the very clear one, is that he destroyed all the documents in Hong Kong before he flew to Russia. He's very diligent and careful in terms of those things. I mean, if you watch the Citizen Four documentary, you know, there's like the kind of embarrassing part where he's like, I need to look at my computer screen. He like goes under a sheet to look at it. Under a blanket. Yeah. yeah. He does that in, in Snowden too. Like, Snowden I love that too. detail. He puts a blanket over his head so that when he's typing his password, people you, can't, you can't no one could read the keystrokes on his fingers. Yeah. Yeah. He's very diligent. By destroy, when you mentioned he destroyed the files, it means he had the files, he took them from the NSA, he gave he them had to Laura Poitras. A, uh, he had them on a hard drive, I guess. Yeah, something yeah. of a disc. Yeah. He gave it to Laura Poitras and to Glenn Greenwald, to those journalists, giving them, obviously, the briefing of how much responsibility this is. You're, they're going to be now on lists of wanted people, basically, yeah. like, blacklisted. From that point on, it's whatever, you know, it's going to be hard. It's a big responsibility, but then he completely... Um, he just handed over all the responsibility for those documents to them, and he no longer has possession of them. I mean, like, again, unless he's lying, but he's, like, not. Um, and well, so I know... Wait, can you explain why you don't think he's lying? He... There's no... Literally zero motive for him to have those documents on him. They make him, like, a total target. First of all, not all the documents were just published... And, yeah, having them makes you a target. I mean, having them makes them a target, but it also gives you leverage against the American government. It seemed to me that he, he was obviously, like, the one at fault, like, the one who stole the information. And he was just saying, like, part of the deal is when I release a story, these are going to not be on my hands anymore. Yeah. So he purposely made a decision to release the documents to these journalists rather than to WikiLeaks because he seems to believe that they would responsibly and legibly release them to the American public in the Within form of their, stories. In the form of stories. Right? Rather Whereas than just Wikileaks, like, ah, yeah, documents. Yeah. Also, I just, this is like, he doesn't like Julian Assange, but that's my own personal opinion. I mean, I think, I think the reason why you're saying that he's not a Russian spy, and I agree with you for this reason, is that like you trust him. Okay. You like, watch a lot of interviews with him, you watch Citizen Four, and you just like believe him. I believe him. Number two reason is that the second in, in line at the NSA who was personally investigating Snowden's case has made a statement, made a statement oh, okay. that was like, Snowden is not a spy. <laughs> like, he ain't no spy Or just you. like, he doesn't have any motive. He, he basically says, I have no reason to believe that he is working for the Russian government. So that's the other sort of like backup. But it's true, mostly I just trust him. What I kind of want to talk about is... Um... Kucharena. Yeah, I want to talk about Kucharena because he's definitely a character. This is Snowden's lawyer, apparently Russian lawyer, who apparently um, works for him now pro bono for some reason. Yeah, pro bono. Why? Snowden has money. I had well, the the article I'm reading is from a little bit ago, but there was a great quote from 
Kucherena in it. Well, while you do that, so Kucherena, a little background on him. He was born in Moldavia, Moldavia. Why can't Moldova? I? Fuck. Moldova. We're gonna say Moldova. Kucherena was born in Moldova, also known as Moldavia, in 1960. He is a pretty famous lawyer. Was definitely famous before he started representing Snowden. He's represented a few like very high-profile people. He's represented celebrities, but he's also represented a journalist who was accused of being a British spy. And like, so he does have like political experience. Mm-hmm. And in addition, he's written seventeen books and like sci-fi fiction, like action books. Or is sci-fi not part of it? Not sci-fi, but like sort of dystopian. Yeah, I mean, in this article I read about him, he cites, like, Aldous Huxley and Orwell as being, like, some of his influencers, awakeners. So let's go over, like, what actually happened. Basically, Snowden is in the Moscow airport, and Kucherina, which we said before, like, comes to him and is like, I will be your lawyer for free. Uh And... In Russia, because he has a lawyer from the ACLU. Yeah, so... Kucherina has been his lawyer pro bono, and here's just a quote from him. Because he represents Snowden pro bono, he never expected to capitalize on the relationship. I don't take any money from him, Kucherina said. He doesn't have any, so I write a book. Yes, fine. So I get a little, as we say in Russian. (laughs) Is that a Russian phrase you're aware of? So I get a little? So I got a little. I we don't, so I'd have I to hear it in little. Russian. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure he's there translating it. Yeah, like, maybe or he's speaking in English. But what about? Well, he obviously speaks English because Snowden. Yeah, that's true. Um, but the, he's just like an interesting character because yeah, he's written all these books. So he writes this like book basically about him and Snowden, um, in the like short time after he meets Snowden. That's like a romanticized version of their relationship, and it's like sort of this international spy-esque thriller like that kind of genre where he just like talks he just like details the time in the in the airport terminal between him and Snowden um and says like oh we talked about like Tupac Shakur and like all these other like very American things like he just references a lot of American things in the in the book and I think one of the things that Wisner is the name of um his American lawyer okay what's the name of the book the book is called something. Octopus. Time of the Octopus. Time of the Octopus, yeah. And the cover is like pretty funny. It's a picture of uh, Snowden's face. And we'll put this up on our Instagram. It's a picture of Snowden's face. And then like a globe that's being like peeled back. And inside is like the CIA emblem. Um, oh, mine. I have a different cover. Oh. Um, but I, I want to like somehow characterize Kucherina because his relationship with Snowden is not like, it doesn't feel like purely a professional one. Like he characterizes himself, his quote is, and here, because he had no one else, it turned out that I took on the role of mother and father. Um, Accordingly, we had confidential conversations of various sorts. And I think like he's overplaying that, but I do think that he was probably one of the first Russian people that Snowden had contact with and he's serving him for free he gets him asylum and so Snowden on some level is like dependent on him and trusts him a lot and like he's been to his dacha and like Kucherina posts photos of Snowden playing with Kucherina's friend's dog and like those sorts of things where the lines are a little bit blurred which his American lawyer does not like for Hmm. kind of obvious reasons Hmm. but 
there there was like speculation that he was appointed by Putin to a certain like committee to I guess on like security. He he's like the head of or chair on quite a few committees for the Russian government. Okay. He's just very much works for the Russian government. But he denies that in this article. He's like, no, I have no association with them whatsoever. What? Yeah. No association with the Russian government? With this particular, like, FSB? FSB, FSB, yeah, that's like the security agency. Okay, but I'm just saying he, like, if you just look on his Wikipedia, he is the... Chairman of the Public Council at the Ministry of International Affairs, the Chairman of the Central Council, the All Russia Social Movement Civil Society, the Institute for Democracy and Cooperation. Okay, those aren't all government. Really, I guess on Wikipedia it doesn't say anything about the FSB. Well, where did we get that? It's in this article. And he's like, no, it's this New York Times article specifically about the Oliver Stone movie, but it's detailing a lot about Kucherina. Well. The other thing, yeah, I mean, I've seen some interviews with him where, yeah, he talks about Snowden very sort of intimately and personally and fondly, like a son or something. And, like, like he has an interview with RT also where he What's says RT? Russia Today. It's, like, a big state-sponsored media company, mostly television channel in many languages that basically, like, presents the Russian state-sponsored... Um, news perspective to the outside world that's why they have they have like offices in every or channels for every country but he's on rt russia speaking in russian saying like when snowden was in was in the moscow airport he didn't know like he didn't know anyone he didn't know anything about russia he doesn't know our people he doesn't know who to trust and like i kind of like you know took him under my wing yeah and it's just funny because also this is kind of this is very superficial, but he just looks like this kind of creepy bureaucrat, like typical Russian government worker guy. He doesn't look Am creepy to me. Let me look at a picture. Not look. creepy, but he just doesn't. How's Kucharena? He doesn't. He definitely looks Russian. He looks like a frog. You can go online and look at a picture of him. His full name is Anatoly Kucharena. Um, And he's just like sort of... He just has like a big meat face with like a little bit of blonde hair. And he looks like, I guess, Eastern European. Yeah. Yeah. In any case, he's very close to the government. He works or has worked for official bodies. So there is also kind of like, I think... That's just an interesting kind of dynamic there where he's representing Snowden as like a pro bono, like I support you in your what you're doing for human rights. But he's also like very much in in the government. But that's how he can help him and get him things like asylum. So it's like he just seems like a classic like opportunist to me. He like he like hears Snowden's in the airport. He's like, oh, all right, I'll go on down to the airport. And then he like writes a book immediately and like tries to option it. You know, very good author. Yeah, he's very very good author. Uh, very good author. Um, excellent. One of one of the things to note is that like during that time, a bunch of different people were writing books about Edward Snowden. Glenn Greenwald did write one, but a bunch of people who had never even met Snowden were writing books. And so this auth- this lawyer's book, Kucherena's book, was like special because he actually like had access to modern day Snowden. 
Is there anything else about Kucharena that you wanted to say? Kucharena, Kucharena, la 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 la. No. So I think there's a few things that we need to address, which is that Snowden was. Um, so Snowden's perspective on Russia, which apparently um, he was pretty kind of quiet about Russian politics or Russian domestic policy, particularly in relation to human rights violations um, in the beginning, but has... You mean in the beginning as when he first got to Moscow? Yeah, in the beginning of his stay there, um, but has gotten more bold in recent recent, like, I don't know, past months or something, year, um, about, gotten more bold about criticizing the Russian government um, and the Russian government's, like, stance on mass surveillance and other human rights violations. What is Russia's stance on mass surveillance? I don't really know, but according to Snowden, it's, he says, I've heard, I heard a quote of him, what? in your water. I'm trying to secretly signal you. I don't really know Russia's stance on surveillance, but I do know that Snowden said something along the lines of they're doing a lot that is kind of like a waste of everyone's time and is definitely unnecessary uh, for security, that kind of thing. So he's talking more about like Russia's security, about people having access to information. Or like like having a LinkedIn, those okay. sorts of things. I would say Snowden is concerned about Russia restricting restricting access in the name of security or in the name of whatever um, to the internet, for example. Like in in this, you know, in like a smaller version of of what China does, but but like surveillance is a form of restriction because surveillance just means like keeping track of everything that you do and even if you don't know that you're like doing something quote unquote wrong or or breaking some arbitrary law you could be and now there's evidence against you so you're saying that restriction is just anything that like impedes on your liberty whether you're aware of it or not yeah and i think he specifically criticized recently their um internet restrictions on people um but but what does that mean i mean like so linkedin has been banned in russia i think pornhub was banned that is a restriction that is a restriction gotta get the vpn for that but, but you know yeah like i live in russia and i need to use porn. Porn. No, <laughs> porn um but i would uh i would i would if i could <laughs> that's just a longer story I just like I'm too, I don't know you're too lazy Yeah. there's no reason I don't watch it only porn. takes you 30 <laughs> seconds so why would you like turn on a whole video but um it could take you 5 seconds I have seconds. a very 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 vivid imagination um she's a beast to behold <laughs> <laughs> what what a beast what to behold <laughs> But LinkedIn, the fact that LinkedIn was banned has affected my life. And the reason LinkedIn was banned, just a little side note, um, ostensibly, was that the Russian government said, okay, giant American companies, you need to start storing data about Russian users 
on our land. We want the databases to they be want the in Russia. To be because in Russia, yeah. yeah, the servers. We don't want you just like having all this control over everyone's lives. But they have Facebook you jerks. Right? Yeah, you but Facebook, Facebook is a monster to take down. I mean, yeah. I, LinkedIn. So the, the way it is is like Russia passed a law about this database. Specifically about LinkedIn, no, or just in general, a law. Okay. And LinkedIn was like the first person, the first company that they were able to actually follow through on. So LinkedIn no longer works in Russia, but everyone in Russia who wants to use LinkedIn, which by the way isn't actually everyone, a lot of people don't use it because there's like a Russian version. It's bad. It's bad, but a lot of people do use it, and people who do use it just use some kind of VPN plugin or something. Yeah. I use one on Chrome. Um, so. You know, so like it affects your life, but also not really. Just like sure people. So that's thing what that's what Stone's kind of saying. Like it's restrictive in this like weird, annoying way that just takes people more time to get around it. But they definitely get around it. Right. Um, but this is all that that was a sidetrack of just saying like it is important that Snowden has started to criticize the Russian government more. Um, even if it makes him sound like ungrateful or something, he has no Another loyalty. Signal he's not a spy. Yeah, it's he like has no an, loyalty it's an to accident. Russia. Honestly. He's there. Yeah, he just happened to be flying through Moscow. And he's made. He said that many times that he, like, wanted to go to South America, and it's actually the U.S. government's fault that he was stopped there because they revoked his passport. I kind of wanted to transition into the other side of things, which is not not what Snowden thinks about Russia. But what Putin thinks about Snowden... Yeah, I think that's more interesting. Which <laughs> Putin's, like, position is, I don't know, typically Putin, which is just, like, he basically says, well, what else could we do? Like, we found ourselves in a situation where a person struggling for the rights of humanity was, you know, on our land... And we have no reason not to offer him asylum. Like, we care about human rights. So Putin publicly, that's the way he would answer the question of why did you offer asylum to Snowden? He certainly would never say something like, it's a political tool or it's no. good leverage. But, like, people no. obviously accuse him of that. Which, um, like, is, a, is probably a valid accusation because we can see that Putin doesn't actually care about human rights or, like whistleblowing that much yeah he's probably anti those whistleblowing if anything wait i just want to i'll come back to this but i just want to read a quote i have here previously snowden has said that moscow had quote gone very far in ways that are completely unnecessary costly and corrosive to individual and collective rights end quote in monitoring citizens online monitoring citizens online so that's actually a different thing than restricting mm -hmm. access but that does, he doesn't say like it's as bad as the NSA. And it's funny because I've heard also Putin say things like in response to um, comparisons of like the NSA and the whatever parallel organization is in Russia. Like, we don't have that kind of money. We're just a humble country. <laughs> the U.S. can just spend like billions of dollars tracking their own citizens. But first of all, we can't afford to do that. And second of all, that just seems completely wrong. You know, he's like always on the moral high yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah. He's so good at that. <laughs> Um, but he does it in, like, a self-aware joking way. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Just He's aware of how, how ridiculous it sounds to be like, we're just a, a small little country. Well, not small, but, you know. When asked about Snowden, he, he tends to quite often take the opportunity, really often, in multiple interviews, take the opportunity to just jab at the CIA for how they handled that whole situation of Snowden going from Hong Kong to South America, yeah. to Ecuador. Because um, 
so a little detail part of the story uh, of this whole saga is that Snowden had been in Moscow airport for a week at this point, at a certain point. Um, the president of Bolivia was in Moscow discussing like some oil business or something. Okay. Um, his name is Evo Morales. Evo? Evo. Evo Morales. That's a pretty name, isn't it? Evo? It is, if that's how you say it. (laughs) That's how you say it? So he's, like, attending a conference in Russia at the time. And he had had publicly stated on TV during that visit that he was sort of, like, feeling positive towards Snowden. You know, like, potentially Bolivia would be a place that Snowden could go. And Snowden at this time had only been there for a week or two, A week. A week week in Moscow. So then the president of Bolivia gets on a plane to go home from Moscow. And the U.S. government basically, at this point, has been, like, pressuring a lot of countries uh, about, like, Snowden. Just pressuring a lot of countries to not take him, to return him. him, Or if you take him, then you get him to us. Yeah, or, like, bullying countries, basically. Like, you better do what we want you to do. And then the Bolivian president gets on an airplane, and the... U.S. government basically forces it to land in Austria. That's a big deal. Oh, okay. All right. Because, like, it's really, really, uh, not embarrassing, but de- degrading. Yeah, it's disrespectful. For the U.S. government to be like, like, stop that, and this yeah. is, like, a president. Yeah, that's actually you imagine I'm not another country doing that to... To us? Yeah. No. Hell no, yeah. that would never happen. So the reason... That the ostensible reason that the U.S. government did that was they were like, we think, because we heard all this, like, pro-Snowden stuff that the president said, we think that Snowden is on that plane with him. Which is just, like, that's bullshit. Such obviously bullshit and such a lie because the U.S., the CIA doesn't think people are on planes. They know people are on planes. And that's just such bullshit. And no one really knows the reason for that lie. Like, why was that made up? But... They did that, and it might have been, like, a kind of scare tactic to be, like, see what we can do. Like, you better... We're gonna, like, fuck with you it people. Just you better feels, return him. Yeah, it almost just feels petty. Like, you say positive things about Snowden, we make your plane be longer. Yeah, and delay... I mean, and a lot like, of... just flexing a little. Yeah. And Bolivian... Bolivia and other South American countries in solidarity were, like, really pissed publicly yeah. about that. Um, but So Putin loves to talk about that. He loves it, and he talks about it pretty much any time you bring up the, like, Snowden decision. He's like, look, he's in our airport. It's not our fault. It's the U.S.'s fault. They revoked his passport. There he is. What are we going to do? And then he's like, and really, like, they could bring down the plane with the Bolivian president. Or sometimes he, like, can't remember, and he's like, the president of the, <laughs> the South American country. And he's such an asshole. And he's just like, well, what's her name? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, they if they can do that, like... Come on, seriously? Like, they couldn't bring down... So, like, what stopped them from bringing down his plane when he was flying from Hong Kong to Moscow? Yeah. Like, what stopped them? It's just a weird, like, weird moment where... And when Putin sort of rightly criticizes that incompetence, it's like, either you, either you, CIA, wanted him to land in Moscow and, like, stay with us here, or you were like, we're seriously incompetent. Because, like, why didn't you just, like, stop him from flying? There was that recording of some FBI agents talking about that. 
talking about that talking flight? talking about the process not the bolivia flight but the process of like revoking his passport and being like well now he's in moscow we can't do anything about it maybe they were expecting genuinely surprised like oh shit he's in moscow you know who knows if they're on the inside as the fbi or if they're just discussing the situation but maybe maybe at the time they thought that russian american relationships were relations were good enough for Putin to hand him over. But I don't know why they would expect that. I think we should actually talk about the Russian-American relationship at that time and a little bit how it affected it because, I don't know, that seems important. I just, like, want to go... Like, we should just go over that timeline real quick of, like, why the recent American-Russian relationship has tanked. Sure, but, okay, but I I also... Oh, you have have, more, okay. Well, I have a little more from Putin. Yeah, yeah, you should do as much as you have on that. Like, juice, or we could do it the other, we could do it the other way if you want. No, no, continue the juice. Okay, so, it's, I don't know how juicy it is, but Putin's, like, little story here. It's like, he said, um, look, we're, again, it's not our fault. The U.S., we tried, we, the Russian government, has tried multiple times to negotiate with the U.S., and there is no, like, policy in place between the U.S. and Russia on the mutual, um, what do you call that, handover of prisoners? Okay, or of, extradition. Rather, criminals, extradition, yeah. Okay. Um, and he said, like, okay, so we're not in any position as the Russian government to judge whether or not Edward Snowden is a criminal under U.S. law, but he's wanted in the U.S., but we, they, the U.S. government won't agree to sign any of the like agreements or protocols that they do have with other countries about extradition okay with russia for some okay. reason this okay. is according to putin you know we've tried we've tried and again like he repeats but as a as a modern country you know he says it's a modern country as a contemporary country we had no choice but to do what we did that's like okay his thing all right so but then he says like there was this little tidbit where According again, according to Putin, while while Snowden was still in Hong Kong, he met with some Russian representatives, representatives of the Russian government. Okay, I have not fact checked or verified this. He met with representatives of the Russian government who basically said, "Like, what do you need?" And he's like, "You know, at this point, Snowden has been trying to get asylum in any a lot of countries." He, he said that he's con- he's contacted really. He, it's not like he's like selecting only ecuador he was like looking for people who would take him iceland was also an option a lot of countries (laughs) a lot of countries like response to snowden asking for asylum um was basically like they wouldn't give a definitive answer and mostly that was probably because they didn't want to get on the wrong side of the u.s right um so in any case yeah putin says we sent some reps over to hong kong they talked to him they, via Putin, said, like, gave the message that he can stay there, he can stay in, in Russia as long as he completely stops any activity that would harm U.S.-Russian relations, interestingly. So that's Putin. Putin, Putin said that. This is Putin's, okay. like, yeah, what Putin said to his representatives who said to Snowden. What is supposedly, supposedly in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Okay. And then, um, you know, like, we have our own state interests, and we wouldn't want to, you know, ruin them by taking you, but... And by activities, that means, like, basically, I don't know, but work like what, that he's releasing doing. releasing documents or, like, saying snipey things? Yeah, and they shouldn't be, like, 
about specifically harming U.S.-Russian relations. He didn't say anti-Russian. I mean, right. he just phrased it that way. Yeah. And then he's like, but Snowden, who's... He always sort of talks about Snowden in this kind of, like... It's a bit condescending. Like, he's a warrior <laughs> for human rights. He is... He said, I am a... Like, I'm a warrior, I'm a fighter, and I want to fight. And this is Snowden speaking, according to Putin. Right. And I want you to be willing to like fight with me you being russia Putin. russian government. Right. yeah i mean stand I besides it, me Putin. who knows if like someone actually said this Putin. um like, and the russian representatives again passing along Putin's message were like no we're not gonna fight along with you you can keep fighting this, like, is, this is all <laughs> according to putin's yeah. standard <laughs> and it's right. like Putin's like Putin's like i just said to him you could just keep fighting by yourself, but we're not going to join you, but do your thing. And then he's like, and he just left. Like, he's like, and he left. Uh, and then he's like, and then two hours before his plane arrives in Moscow, I'm informed that he's landing in Moscow. Okay. That's, that's according to him in the story. So he's sort of arguing that, that Snowden was intentionally going to Russia and not well, trying to go somewhere else. No, he's not arguing that. He's saying, like, Russia was one of the options and that they agreed even before he was stuck in their airport, basically. Okay. As long as he didn't harm U.S.-Russian relations. Yeah, so if we look at, like, Putin's concern about U.S.-Russian relations not being harmed by Snowden, but he what, says that. What is, why is he saying that? Because at that time, we and we should talk about this, at that time, I would say that Russian and American relations were already tanking and Snowden was just, like, the cherry on top of the... Shitty Sunday. Why were they tanking? Okay. It's, it's 2013. It's 2013. Beep, boop, 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 It's 2013. All right, so let's go over that a little bit. I, so I read, I think it was, uh, it was probably like the Washington Post or something. They were just like, a brief history of why things are going sour with Putin. I think this was before Obama was out of office and their dreaded orange puff came into power. But um, Orange puff. Orange puffington. Meh. <laughs> So in 2009... You mean a bag of Cheetos <laughs> covered with a dead cat oh my rat? God. Oh my god. Sorry. Just like a I was just trying to do, do a John Oliver description. He's so good. John, John Oliver is really good at describing people's stupid faces in funny ways. That, that podcast, The Read, was like, we should stop calling it him a Cheeto because we like Cheetos, so we're going to call him a circus peanut because everybody hates circus peanuts. <laughs> Sorry, a horrible not... circus peanut. Okay, uh, sorry. Tell me the timeline. The timeline. So in 2009, Secretary Hillary Rod, Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton gives Rodham Rodham gives the Russian ambassador a button that says that's meant to be a reset button. It's this cutesy way of being like we're gonna reset the Russian American relationship with. With this like little ceremony where we pus- push this plastic button that says reset on it because things had been sort of bad under George W. Bush, I guess. Um, and at the outset of Obama's presidency, things with Russia were like kind of looking up. He had a good relationship with Medvedev. They like, I don't know, they they came to like some agreement on things. I don't even remember. It's not important. 2000, 2000, 2009. Nine. What did, okay, but the foreshadowing on the reset button was Hillary gives it's it's embarrassing it is embarrassing hillary gives this button to the russian ambassador she's it says reset in foreign russian minister. foreign minister and lavrov who's still the foreign minister who who's the one that 
Trump recently leaked information to. Yeah, who like laughed about Comey with Trump. Oh, oh my god. Oh. Yeah, what a fool. What, what, a, what a nutcase. A nutcase. <laughs> that reminds me of the Anita Hill thing. Like a little bit nutty and a little bit slutty. <laughs> you know, like that Comey guy, he's a little <laughs> bit nutty and a little bit slutty. I think he wants to fuck me. Get him out. Get out of here. Um, but, okay, so what does the reset, the reset, it says reset in Russian, but what does it actually say? What's the actual translation? They like um, fucked up the translation. Okay, so yeah, so ugh, I ha- this is a soft, a sore point for me. Yeah, I know. Um, the, the Hillary Clinton gave the button with the word perigruska, and it should have been perizagruska. Right. What does perigruska mean? Perigruska is like oh, it means like overcharged in a way that's <laughs> like. Could like be negative. We like oh, like you overcharged me money, or like I my battery's overcharged. No, I think my battery's overcharged. Like, like I you're also all think it up. can be like all. I no, I I could inter- I think you could interpret it as like overwhelmed almost. Oh, okay, all right. So Hillary, our dear Hillary, gives this to Lavrov, and it's but mistranslated. it should be Pedro which means to reboot basically okay. reset reset so that's like a little fucked up but everybody's like oh haha still like kind of annoying was it intentional whatever um but then things with medvedev and obama are good after that medvedev at the time was president he's now prime minister um and i guess he was less of a like sitting duck president you'll have to go back and listen to our most recent podcast to get that joke <laughs> sitting that, that little drink <laughs> that little easter egg <laughs> um <laughs> And then basically it's a series of three things that starts to tank the the relationship Crimea. So Obama and the American administration at the time did not like the way that Russia just like went into Crimea and they're like, meh, but we want it now because a lot of these people are actually ethnically Russian. Um, and so they put sanctions on Russia, which obviously Putin responded negatively to. Um, around the same time, the Syrian civil war is like starting to hit its stride and America is looking for like public condemnation from Russia against Bashar al-Assad and they're not giving it to him. And I mean, we've seen how that plays out now. They are, you know, supporting with troops, etc. the regime. And then the third thing is sort of around like Russia's human rights in regards to gays and lesbians. So I would say that's like a smaller thing, but Obama was definitely like on the gay and lesbian train in America and was like clear about gay and lesbians need to be treated well. Is this a well. Sochi thing? This is a Sochi thing. I mean, he does, he refers to it in Sochi. Basically, he's saying, he's like, I don't think it's appropriate to boycott the Olympics because people have been training for a long time, but I think Putin needs to know that, you know, gays and lesbians need to be treated equally, et cetera, et cetera. And then he has this line, which I texted you, which is, he's definitely winging it. He's so just, embarrassing. He's just like, and if, he's like, if and if they don't have gay and lesbian people on their teams, then those teams are weaker. Oh my god! <laughs> he just is like, oh, you know, he got sorry. to the middle of this sentence and he's like, what does it mean if they don't have gays and lesbians on also, their team? Also, like, it's so ridiculous to say that because obviously they do, and it's not really about that. Like, it's it's just like, I mean, you could make the argument they're weaker because when you have. This is like going back to that standard, like liberal psyche, like when you have less diversity, you're weaker, etc. But they, it's, I don't think that people are not allowed to be on an Olympic team because it's more about like saying that like 
if people feel pressured not to be openly gay as a member of a team of the Olympics, maybe they have psychological pressure and it, it make it's shitty for them. I don't think it was that deep. I think yeah. he fucked I think up. He, or, I think it was also a fuck impl- up. he's implying that that gay and lesbian, openly gay and lesbian people would be banned from the Olympic team. And I'm not sure that that's based in any reality. I don't even think he was implying that. I think he was saying like, we have gays and lesbians and our teams are, our team is great. And then he was like, and if they don't have that, then their team isn't good. Yeah. You need a good lesbian. Wait, but you missed a big thing when you were listing the the issues between Russia and the U.S., which is Euromaidan, which is like the Ukrainian revolution. So, so the the protests and all and the, the war in Ukraine that all started before Crimea. Crimea, Crimea yeah. was a bit of a like. But I don't. I don't. Maybe so, but I don't think like they didn't. I don't think sanctions were put on. Uh, Russia until the Crimea stuff happened. I think that probably Obama admonished Putin for not speaking out against the the current administration in Ukraine, right? Am I getting that right? No. Oh, I'm wrong? Okay. Well, we need to pause because I need to take a pee break. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay, so I have the, like, revolution thing wrong, so Lily's going to explain it to me. Basically, in November 2013, you have the start of protests in Ukraine, and the protests are related to... November 2013. Yeah. Post-Snowden. Yeah, post... Is that right? What do you mean, post-Snowden? Snowden's already in Moscow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, because basically the protests are demanding that the Ukraine integrate with the EU or like move towards integrating with the European Union. Whereas the president Yanukovych is saying like, or there had been maybe plans to integrate and, and he's saying he's like moving away from that and more leaning towards staying with Russia and like Eastern Europe, not part of the EU countries. So people start protesting in in November, but that leads to the Ukrainian Revolution, which I is in two thousand fourteen, and that is, and I'm a little unclear because basically there's just like protests and clashes, and and the U.S. is very much involved in that, and like, I mean, according because they want that known? they want the Ukraine to join the EU. Yeah. And um eventually the president is ousted. Yanukovych like runs away. Okay. Um and Yanukovych is backed by the Russian government, correct? You mean like supported? Yeah. But maybe even backed in like some military sense. Or no. Well, okay, so once the war starts, it's actually a really confusing topic, the war in Ukraine, so I don't want to, like, reduce it too much because I don't really know what I'm talking about. Okay. But um, I do know that, like, the U.S. is giving weapons and financial support to, to the opposition. The, to the Ukrainian, pro-Ukrainian, pro-EU, like, people rebels um or maybe they're just called the people who's called rebels i'm not sure i think the rebels are the people in eastern ukraine who are pro-russian who speak russian and want to like not become part of the eu 
because they want to maintain their like why don't they want to become part of the EU because they want to maintain their ties to Russia more yeah, maybe they're like anti-West. I mean, okay, I maybe we don't. Know. Maybe we don't shouldn't know. speculate. This could be a different. But it's like episode. a straight-up war, and the other side is that Russia is sending troops to defend those people, the pro-Russian right. Russian people fighting, and basically Eastern Europe, Eastern Ukraine is just like continues to be like a battle zone, and Russia publicly. So Russia, um, doing that thing. Yeah. Putin publicly denies over and over and over again that Russian troops are there because they're okay. like unmarked, but then there's proof that they're there. And then right, there's all right, this like right, photo, right, right. photo evidence okay, shit. This, yeah. So what started as riots and protests is like now full blown war. And during that, um, pretty soon into that Crimea is annexed. So the, the sanctions, I'm not sure the sanctions are only, I don't think the sanctions are only about the Crimea annexation. I think they're about also like, the Ukrainian dealing with Ukraine by like providing. Okay. I mean, soldiers. I don't know. I don't know how the sanction process works. Like, are they very clear? They're like, these are the reasons why they probably do that. They probably like list like we're imposing sanctions for these numbers. These reasons. Yeah. This is like a really big topic. And like, Let, so let's not try to address it too much now. Cause neither of us have read enough about yeah. it. Yeah. But, but basically well, just U- Ukraine, separate from the annexation of Crimea, the the situation between the U.S., Russia, and Ukraine is also a huge reason why U.S.-Russian relations, politics, relations okay. are, are bad. All right. um, the other thing is Russians, when you ask, like, so here's, a, I guess, a little anecdote. When I was, like, um, hanging out at my friend's dacha, I, like, met some of her extended family who's, like, people that... Can you explain what a dacha is? A dacha is like a weekend house, country house. We were there with like her extended family who turns out are like pretty heavy Putin supporters. You know, okay. they watch TV every day and they just like sort of like watch state run absorb, TV. Yeah, okay. absorb the the line on state run news and, and repeat it. You know, so once they found out that I was from the US, oh this is Polly as American friend they were, there was definitely a little, like, tension between, like, me and the extended family where, not exactly tension against me personally, but just, like, making little comments about politics. And one of the comments was, like, um, specifically asking about Trump because it was just after the election. Okay. There was two couples that were, like, family friends or, like, extended family that were... Older? Yeah, older. Okay. Uh, like, 50s at least. Okay. One of the women in the couple was the most kind of vigorously, like, clearly anti-American. And so so what felt like other people were asking these kind of, like, awkward questions about, like, who I voted for. And I'm like, Hillary, and, like, Trump is a horrible person. Yeah. So I'm, like, explaining why Trump is so bad. Because, like, what's wrong with Trump? Like, in terms of, like, domestic policy. You're, you're using yeah, domestic trying. policy yeah. to explain. It's hard because people are like, wait a minute. Like, all they've heard and what they've seen on TV is that, like... Hillary wanted to go to war with us, basically, in Syria, and Trump wants to be friends with us. Like, right. who would you choose, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they don't care about what happens in, like, domestic yeah, American no, politics. Not, yeah. I mean, we don't care either what happens in Russia domestic politics, in reality. Right. So, like, I'm like, yeah, well, see, Trump is this really awful guy. He's a peanut, and I hate him. <laughs> for all these reasons, so, and, you know, like, Hillary's much more experienced, blah, blah, blah. I'm, like, giving my reasons um, a little bit. 
it was an interesting moment because at the end of the day, I'm like defending America as like this place that's like, we, this is something I had to do a lot after Trump was elected. I had to basically, when Russians would, would ask me like, well, what's sort of, what's the big deal? Like governments suck, like yeah. Putin sucks, governments yeah. suck, they harm people. Like what is so, what's so horrible and tragic? Why are you literally like crying all the time? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would be like, no, but don't you understand? Like, we had a dream. Like, I was this very... I definitely had, like, a bright-eyed, butchy-tailed line, which was basically, like, we were really trying, and we had built something, or we were in the process of building something that Trump is just, like, a reversal of, and a destruction, a dismantling of, whatever. And Even if that's not a reality, like, it, it we felt that felt way. It though. There's, like, especially a very idealistic American narrative. Yeah. yeah. That we're progressing. Right, especially, yeah. like, under Obama. Yeah. Which is obviously a flawed, not that realistic position, but that was my position. As I'm sitting there around this table... Progress zigs and zags, Lily. Sometimes you have to step two steps backwards. Yeah. Um, a million steps backwards <laughs> atop a two-way. God. So I'm sitting around this table with these people, kind of like, yeah, repeating this sort of ethos that like, well we are trying to be a good country and Trump is like ruining that or something. Yeah. And she just goes like, she's angry. At you. No, not at me. She's just like angry at like the, at America. <laughs> and like, um, probably angry at my support for Hillary. Okay. And she's the like, monger. Yeah. And, and she's just like, well, what about Ukraine? Like, what about the war in Ukraine? And, and her position and the position that is definitely must be like on Russian TV a lot is that so regardless of whether or not there are actual Russian troops or Russian backed troops um, in, in Ukraine supporting the pro-Russian people, the U.S., like the narrative is that the U.S. instigated these protests and this revolution. Okay. They instigated it, supported it, enabled it, all of that. The U.S. government. Okay. So, and I don't fucking know. I mean, the, well, the extent to which that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't sound unlike the U.S. government at all. So, like... It, it doesn't. Sounds like, that, that, <laughs> sounds, that sounds about right. Sounds like us. Sounds like our MO. So, yeah, you have a right, especially if you have, like, family in Ukraine, especially if, you know, it, it's really shitty. Like, to, yeah. that war has been really bad and for happening for a long right. time. right. And it's sort of this low-key happening because everyone talked about it for, like, a little bit in 2014. They're like, oh, my God, the war in Ukraine. And then it's just like, oh, we don't care anymore. Yeah. We don't care at all. But it's just, like, it still is, like, an ongoing issue. So so she was, yeah, so that was a little encounter that, like, I don't have a lot of encounters with people where they take out their anger against the U.S., against, uh, against me, but or where I have to defend the U.S. But, like, it happens from time to time. And that's sort of the the line. That's the line that they take. Like, well, what about like this? What about that? Like, how can you? Yeah, how can you sort of like be on your high horse? Right. It's like, well, I'm on my high horse because American people don't actually care about that stuff. I well, I'm on my high horse because our country is based on ideals. So what we do doesn't really matter. <laughs> it, the ideals are the important. So but just what we write on paper and say. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think about this a lot. <laughs> like, what makes the U.S. 
actually better than other places. What makes it the greatest country in the world? Yeah, it is the greatest country in the world, but why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay, so going back real quick, so the three things, the Ukraine shit show, which combines Crimea and the revolution, the serious death, gay and lesbian rights, human rights in general. I think it's probably the smallest one. Yeah. And then Snowden. So so the immediate response, I think we should talk about that, the immediate response when Snowden was in Moscow from the Obama administration was for them to cancel a summit they were supposed to have with Russian leaders that was based in St. Petersburg. So they canceled that. They, the U.S. government. The U.S. government. Um, and a lot of articles I read were like, it was their only choice. Of course they did that. Like that was like standard diplomatic procedure. The reason the uh, Obama administration gave at the time was like a combination. They're like, yeah, Yes, Snowden, bad, but also we like our relationships have been deteriorating, and we don't even know what we would talk about. We um, wouldn't have anything to really talk about. So, and oh, and Obama's response to Snowden, as like probably a lot of people know, was mostly just like he should come back and face trial, and I'm not going to pardon him. He needs to come back and like He's face just a hacker. trial. He's a hacker. I don't think they called him a traitor necessarily, and as has been pointed out, a lot of laws were changed in direct response to what uh, Snowden did. The response at the time of our current dear president, um, Mr. Orange Puffington, was on Twitter, of course, as he likes to do. At the uh, time. At the before time. Before he was president. Before he was president. Before we even thought that, that was a possibility. is 2013. He always and, has to comment. Yeah. <laughs> comment, comment, comment. Um, and he was basically like, he, he called him a traitor. He said that if he was president, he would make Putin give him back and that he should be executed. He said Snowden should be executed. Yeah. And we should find the actual, yeah, fucking psycho. And the CIA director at the time too said that the death penalty should be brought against him. Okay. I just wanted to make a little side note. Um, when you mentioned that Obama, when you mentioned that Obama wanted, just said, you know, like, Snowden, just come back and face trial. Like, be yeah. a man. Like, be an American. But in his, like, charming way. But I love Obama. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> we love him. Disclaimer. Oh, God. Oh, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. That smile. Sickness and in hell. <laughs> in sur- in increased surveillance, increased deportation, and not closing Guantanamo, and drone usage, and... <laughs> Like, less freedom of the press <laughs> and in hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, we love you. So, I'm just going to read the Trump tweet. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. Snowden is a spy who has caused great damage to the U.S. A spy in the old days, when our country was respected and strong, would be executed. So, he's going back, the old throwback to make God, America great again. He already is doing his, I like, PR. God, fuck him. It's April 2014. The Washington Post made this video. It was, like, the Trump Snowden relationship. And it was, like, a minute and six seconds. It was so short. It was just, like, three different quotes, which was, like, what he said on Twitter in 2013. Execute. Execute. What he said in 2015 when he was, you know, running for El Presidente. And he basically was, that's when he said, like, if I were, I'll just ask for him back. Putin will give him back to me. And then he also said a thing on Twitter, and I don't remember when this was. I think it might have been more recently where he was like, Edward Snowden is a spy and he should be executed. But if he were to release documents on Obama, I might change my mind about him. 
something like that. Uh, something gross. I feel like that's what the intercept was making fun of. He was like, just release the documents. Just release it all. Release the documents. Stop my pee video. I love WikiLeaks. I love it. Love it. Love it. All right. It's um, great organization. Good people. Good people. Okay. Love the rapey vibes. Really into that. Assange. Pamela Anderson. Beautiful woman. Good shape. Great Lover. pussy. Great ass. Great, great ass. tits. Great tits. Great pussy. <laughs> oh my god the grabbable okay um do yeah. we have anything else we want to say on this subject pamela anderson and julian assange are dating oh. boop, boop, boop. <laughs> insider info it's very important info. in the privacy community all right let's do our propaganda alert On each of our episodes, we're going to try to address like some small propaganda we come across regarding uh, either America and Russian media or vice versa. This week, we're going to talk about the recent Time cover. So the image on the cover of Time magazine is a basically blending of three images, of three buildings. It's the White House blended with the Kremlin, which is the like equivalent of the White House in Moscow. It's a brick fortress building um with these beautiful turrets no and the oh, turrets sorry. Okay. yeah and the third building that's blended in there is saint saint basil's cathedral which is right on red square so okay red so square i don't think people i mean i obviously didn't know that and i feel like people don't know that but they wanted to make it obviously russian yeah so i think the art that the time magazine chose the reason they chose well it's interesting. They could have chose to use all three buildings because the Kremlin is connected to the church. Physically or not. No, like kind of like ideologically. Those turrets are the things that are like identifiably Russian. So for all intents and purposes, they're saying this is the Kremlin. Unless Which is a form of just like completely idiocy. Diluting Russia. It's like that signals Russia to people. Like like churchy turrets, the yeah. red brick of the Kremlin. Yeah. The title of the article that this image is referring to is Inside Russia's Social Media War on America. Oh, shit. All right. Well, we didn't read that. We got to read that. We got to read that. Um, But let's just talk about the image itself because that's the most accessible. Yeah, because like whether or not you read the article inside and and there's no title on the cover of Time magazine, um, you see this image. Yeah. So the, the first thing that we're criticizing is this like blending of the Kremlin and the church. Right. Um, the, that might be some kind of nuanced statement about like the, the, the church's relationship, um, the Orthodox church's yeah. relationship to yeah. the government. It's possible. But I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it too, because I think that if you get rid of those turrets, it's not, people would have a hard time understanding. Like, what? Why is, is that the, blood? They'd be like, yeah, why is the white house turning red? <laughs> I don't know what that means. The red is a fun color. Yeah. Um, so what is this saying? Just I mean, image-wise. Im- to me, so there's like two ways. It's like one, oh, the Kremlin's taking, it's definitely taking over yeah. the White House, like this like weird parasite that spreads its disease. Yeah. But the other thing is like, you could just look at it and be like, oh, it's just signaling that the White House is like embroiled in this Russian scandal. Right, like that the White House and the Kremlin are indistinguishable. Well, that's the first argument that I just said, which is like the takeover. Um, rather than embroiled? But if you take a more nuanced view, it's just like, oh, the, the White House can't get away from Russia. 
as evidence. But... Help! Help! And, and Mom, here's a little want you. When people haven't seen me in a while and they know I live in Russia, they, there's like a few ways people tend to approach that, but it's just like generally it goes along the lines of like, how's Russia? With that exact tone. Yeah. How's Russia? Like, what? Like, something's going on there like, that like. Specifically to you. Yeah, or like that I. What, how can I interpret that? Either I have some insider information yeah. somehow. Putin told or me. Russia, or the other part that you, way you can interpret that tone of voice. That I'm talking about Americans when I'm in America. Yeah. The other way you can interpret that tone of voice is like, so Russia sucks and is horrible, but I'm just going to ask how it is. Because like if I was in Barcelona or something, like, oh my God, how, how, is, Barcelona? how, is, Barcelona, how is Barcelona? Or rather Spain, because it's a country, but people like can't ask how St. Petersburg is. Definitely not. So they just ask, how's Russia? Yeah, people would be like, oh my god, how's Spain? How's France? How is Thailand? But the other way you can interpret that without thinking that every American who asks me that is saying, like, Russia sucks, is that the overall theme that we keep coming back to is they just don't know what the deal is. They don't it's know what like, the well, deal is. We don't, I don't know. So well, I'm just going to say, like, so what's going on there? So what's going on? And I think the fact that, like, Russia is very prominent in everybody's, like, mental state right now, like, it seems weird to just be like, hey, how's Russia? Without, like, referencing the fact that we're talking about Russia every single day in the media. Right. Okay, that perspective, soon we might all be speaking Russian, ha, 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 is so clearly a, a, a throwback to a Cold War perspective. When cool. people would be like, soon we're going to all be communists. Like this soon we're all going to be communists. And people said that about Germany. We might all be speaking we German. Might all, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's like this concept of these like big, powerful, authoritarian regimes encroaching yeah, yeah. on the sovereignty of America. Right, encroaching on American democracy and what we represent around the world. Because we are responsible for democracy around the world, right. according to this narrative. Right. So this image really, I think, matches with that sentiment. Because which is it's just like encroaching. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's like, not like the mad one where it's static. It's just like the turrets are on top of the White House. It's like, yeah, it's seeping into the White House. Yeah, so it's like soon the White House might have turrets on it and we might all be speaking Russian. And when you really like, but when you really break that down, it's pretty extreme and like, crazy kind of thing to say that is basically saying a it's a fact that the russian government helped trump become president very directly that's one fact number one according to this narrative fact number two russian government the russian government helping trump become president means that like we that russian culture and influence is suddenly like directly affecting americans right Rather Which than just, just like, that's just so weird. Natural. That's like a okay. weird, I feel like, step to take because it's like, just because, like, just the finishing that thought is like, okay, like, say all the collusion accusations and the hacking accusations. And now, whose fault is it? Say all the collusion accusations and the hacking accusations turn out to be true. Turn out to be true. Like, why is that necessarily true that that has anything to do with like the influence of. Russian okay, culture. I think my immediate response is like, it's not that deep. Like it doesn't, it's just a flippant joke and it doesn't, you don't need to analyze it and you're, you're hypersensitive to it because you get it a lot and it's, an, 
you find it annoying. Well, I never got that one. Okay, but you get that general sort of just like, Russia is, is Russia communist? You know, just like annoying small things where you just feel like you don't want to have to correct it. I think overanalyzing that joke is like, I don't think the implication is really... But I think that you should analyze the implications of these things these things because that's how propaganda works it's surface level and it's implementing an idea similarly to the time magazine cover just like an idea so then i think i think the implication is that russia's influence over the government is like the first step and its influence can spread culturally also and if, if we keep inviting in russian government politically then Russian government sets the policy and therefore your children would be learning Russian in schools. But I think, I think that that joke is funny be, if you want to think of it as funny. I don't, it doesn't, it's, it's like a platitude I mean, I wasn't joke to offended. me. Yeah, I know. But like, I think it is funny in that throwbacky way where you're like being aware that like, oh, I'm using cold word language or I'm using language that was used to refer to Germany. But, I mean, obviously there's, like, a sinister truth not to the Cold War aspect, but to, like, the imperialist history of the Soviet Union and Russia being the official language of many countries in the Soviet Union. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's a reality that and doesn't I th- have anything to do with the U.S. And I think that's a reality, and I think it's why we're sensitive about things like Crimea, because the the whole, like, the Ru- the Russian country or government, whatever you want to call it, Federation? Federation, like, slurping up more land is reminiscent of a time we were not a fan of. But, yeah, I mean, I I think that we should be careful about saying, like, every joke is propaganda. I mean, I know we're calling this propaganda hour, and, like, I think that the Time article, like, sure, that's, like, propaganda in some sense, but I do think we need to, like, check ourselves and be like, all right, it's not that serious, and it's okay if people make these sort of, like, platitude jokes that are, like, annoying or whatever, but don't actually mean anything. It's okay to make a joke, and I don't think propaganda should always be seen as, like, universally sinister or not sinister bad necessarily it's just something to unpack political images are always really extreme in that way right they're always supposed to like kind of get a reaction and make yeah. like a kind of character characters in in you know in a lot of ways Thank do you, you have a body update my happy trail is growing yeah yeah but you're gonna get it waxed i am why? holding out to get it waxed i'm getting it waxed why but why get it waxed I like getting my bikini waxed, and I include my happy trail. Have you tried getting your bikini waxed and not including the happy trail? No. If I wasn't going to get waxed, I would be plucking it myself, and I would. I, that's how I maintained it my whole life. But now that I... My whole life. My whole life. Now that Since I, I was a babe. Fairly regular bikini waxings, I just... I, like, I include... It's easier to get it all waxed than to maintain it by plucking, so I have sometimes I let not? it grow out. I don't like it. Oh, it's hairy. It's kind of nice, right? Do you have one? Yeah. I have a pimple on my butt. I hate butt pimples. I know. Yeah. It's one of those ones that's like sore and you like sit down and you're like, nice. Ow! What? Ow! I got faith to gain. Gas up in my tank. Trust me when I say nothing's in my way.
right, that's the end of episode one. Thank you for listening to She's in Russia. Our theme music is Shit Happens by Tierra Wack, and we'll put her social media links in the episode description. Our art is done by Sam Wustar, and we'll also link to his Instagram in the description. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia. No apostrophe and you can subscribe to us on itunes and soundcloud names and references that we made in this episode will be in the description